Hello everyone, welcome to the LawCast. It's Melanie Thorley and Christy Santetta and I'm on holiday. I'm not actually. On yeah, you're not, you're not actually. Is that Venice <laughs> Beach behind you? I suspect so. I'm, I, I'm I can see some, it looks very California. Yes, yes, it definitely is. I, I'm on holiday today, so which is why I'm not in the office doing this. Um, that very is... nice of you to, to lend your time on your holiday to, <laughs> to our viewers. <laughs> well, hopefully we've got someone who watches. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of them out there. Um, all right, well, in your holiday, I have been scrolling away and found a bit of an interesting case. Okay. Um, now, I'm not going to read out the name of the case because it's actually 17 applicants um, oh. <laughs> against one single respondent, um, principally because they're all exactly the same case. Um, and the other side... So the respondent being the employer, um, the name is OSMCAP Proprietary Limited, but you can basically put them there a subsidiary of, of BHP. Um, they are a, uh, they provide some servicing to their mines. Um, and they have a lot of employees and 17 of them have now filed a unfair dismissal. Um, and uh, on the basis of a relocation. So uh, this is a jurisdictional objection on the basis that they weren't dismissed. Um, and right. Okay. Okay. So just to kind of recap, I suppose, for our, our listeners, mm. what are some of the issues that come about when you've got a relocation? Yeah, well, there's a few of them, isn't there? We've got to think about time and distance, uh, whether the parties had contemplated this in the contracts is a big one. Uh, what do you call it? You know, the, the inconvenience it is to the employee. For instance, let's say they are in Brisbane. Um, for those of you, Brisbane and the Gold Coast are about 100 kilometres away, and they relocate to Brisbane. They relocate to Gold Coast, which means they have to start. They have to leave for work before, say, their childcare centre opens or something like that. So there's lots of things to think about. But the commission in the past has been really variable on how this is applied. Like yeah. in some cases, just this, the shortest transfer has been considered inappropriate. And sometimes the, the Brisbane to Gold Coast has been fine. And I think I recall one that was literally hundreds of kilometres away. Uh, yeah, there was one I remember, it was from, uh, I believe it was around Roma, around that yeah, area. Out, and yeah. he had moved to like 300 kilometres. and Roma to Chinchilla or something like mm. that. It was just, yeah, mad, mad, mad. Um, So what we're talking about, I suppose, here is the employees here resigned um, and uh, they are claiming that this move was twofold. It was either a repudiation of the contract um, or it gave them no choice but to resign. So the two different areas of where you might have a resignation, yeah. which might amount to a dismissal. Okay, and so for those who are listening, repudiation is when the one of the parties decides that they don't want to perform the contract anymore. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that the repudiation is the material change in the contract which shows that they don't want to perform the actual contract anymore and want to alter it to the extent that it's it's a material change which needs the support of both parties and they didn't get it therefore they are showing that they don't want to be a party to it anymore yeah essentially so, you've you've changed the contract such 
that that previous contract ended and you're trying to implement a new one and given it was unilateral in nature uh, it isn't is not agreed um, and then the second argument being when they moved these when they wanted to move these employees they also gave them no choice but to resign because the other choice was to essentially up and move uh, and in this case it's about 150 kilometers roughly um, and it is a move and this is going to uh, be very familiar to our mining and resource folk it's going to be from mount mount arthur i believe um to blackwater oh um, okay so the what had happened was um their contract for that particular mine uh their needs had changed and they wanted and a new mine needed more servicing so they wanted to move their workforce a lot of their workforce from one mine to the other essentially both from bhb to bhb um and the this case is very interesting to me because it really screams home the importance of the contract i know i always bang about contracts king and that a a good document beats a good lawyer um and is this the point even more putting that a nail in that coffin is yeah it? it's just every every week i'm really banging on about this um and in the contract in the uh in the location section this is what i'm going to go verbatim during your employment you may be required to work on multiple sites across the east coast of australia as directed by the company if your deployment is interstate you'll be provided with advance notice of four weeks unless a shorter period is mutually agreed and the parties and the judge really delved into these words i mean it's only okay you know 20 words or something like that but the first question is whether there's any ambiguity and um there is i i there, the judge agreed and, and having looked at it, i can see there is some because first of all when it says multiple sites whose sites we're talking bear in mind this isn't actually bhp this is mm -hmm. a company that is servicing bhp um so is it only BHP sites? Is it Rio Tinto sites? Is it you know, any other mine that they could potentially be working? Um, it doesn't also specify that these are going to be actually mining sites. I know that that's principally what they were doing, but yeah. I can imagine they might be able to do other work. Yeah. Um, and what is the east coast of Australia? Yes. <laughs> east coast, what? <laughs> I mean, the judge judge makes an interesting point. Is Blackwater's nowhere near the coast. Well, I mean, where do you draw this line? I mean, oh, is that? And interestingly, they they do talk about this. Is when we're thinking about the east coast of Australia, and they and they bring it back to how we should really be interpreting these contracts, which is, you know, it's not defined. It should be ordinary meaning. What is a? Um, and they've put it as an ordinary business person. What would they think? the east coast of Australia is and is it one where you just draw a line you know from the top of the world to the bottom of the world and anything east of that is the east coast of Australia anything the west coast uh, west of that is the west coast no, no, um, straight through the middle yeah sure is it straight through the middle where is that line firstly um do we even use the line would that line for example uh include Adelaide uh, there's a there's a few BHP mines at this particular company services uh, around Adelaide. Would they be included? Are they included in multiple sites? I mean, there's a lot of 
ambiguity there, um, which meant that they could look into, I suppose, the conduct of the parties and what they all understood it to be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah. the uh, the judge, I think, sensibly came to a um, a reasonable conclusion, which mm -hmm. was Mount Arthur is already 150 kilometres away from the coast. Um, Blackwater is about 250 kilometres from the coast. And I don't see a difference between the two. When, when we're not talking about one which is on the beach and one no. which is 250 kilometres in. You're, you're already inland. Yeah, and I don't think it, I don't agree with simply drawing a line, which is not what they did in this particular case either. Um, and just saying anything east and west, it, it, I think for the reasonable person is about what's your proximity to the, to the coast, to the beach, if you want to the water. That's very true. But also it's proximity to where you are at the moment. If it, if it's written as an east coast and you're in, you know, you're getting moved to Blackwater and from, I'm sorry, where was the other place? It Mount was Arthur. Mount Arthur then if you accept that Mount Arthur is on the east coast, you must also accept that probably Blackwater is too. Yeah, because we're talking about, it, it's, yeah, you're, you're saying 150 kilometres is they're fine. They're all there. So, so I'm just going to wind back a little bit here. Are these workers drive in, drive out? Do they live nearby? Or do they fly in, fly out? I mean, what's the big deal with that? I think they drive in, drive out. So, a lot of these people have made the decision to move out to these regional towns and live there, and now they've been asked to to work a very long way away. So they have to be either a fly-in, fly-out worker, which they never contemplated. And this was their argument, I'm guessing, or some of their argument. Yeah, yeah, and it, that ended up getting rejected. That was more discussed in whether they were forced to resign. Mm. Um, and one of the important points here is this was not just 17 employees who all decided that this was too far to drive. Many others who are in the exact same situation as them are doing the exact thing. You know, they are now driving out to Blackwater from where yeah. they were living before. Yeah. Um, and it's this goes to one of the, you know, the myths that we often talk about is we see this time and time again. Uh, almost on a, I mean, I'm sure you see it on an almost daily basis of employees who have resigned and saying, I had to, I had no choice. And the, the commissions have time and time again come back and said, no choice actually means no choice. That mm. If you can identify any type of reasonable alternative, then it's going to be very difficult for that to, to be successful. And sensibly, the judge came back and said, well, you know, 80% of them did drive. I mean, they that is another option. And if 80% of them feel as though that's something that is not too detrimental to them, then yeah. what's different about these 17 employees that yeah. makes this no And choice? I'm guessing the consideration for the fatigue management plan happened and so on and so forth. Because if you're asking these people to drive out there and then work a 12-hour shift, there's a fatigue management issue to be had. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, okay. So. So they lost. They lost. They very much lost. Um, oh, we'll pop it. Is this or, another CUFMMU matter as well? Um, if I look, I don't think so. Mm. I think they were. Uh, I'll just look at who was representing them. 
It was not the CFMEU, but it was a union um, on their behalf. So this might get appealed. I think this might be one that we uh, we hear a little bit more about. Um, but it's, I think, a very interesting, as you mentioned from the very start, um, relocation seemed to be widely applied and widely decided. You know, situations where 25 kilometres can be construed as being too too far. Um, and this one, you know, it's 150 kilometres difference. Um, and correct me if you take a sort of different view, but I think a, a good, a <laughs> good you sort and of... I sometimes take different views on these. <laughs> I think a good, you know, if we're thinking about just for your lay person on the street, um, something that is not a bad yardstick for this is, would that person have accepted the job in the first place? If this was what it looked like in the in that yeah. from the outset, what would have happened? I think that's the starting point. I really do. And I think if these individuals really dug deep down, they would say that they would still take the job because they take yeah. the job for more than just situation where it is. They take it for the money. They take it for the you know for the circumstances. They might take it for the extra super. They, there's a lot of reasons why people take jobs, uh, and it's not just you know, where they are and how close mm. it is. Uh, but, yeah. It's, and um, and uh, <laughs> I think it's important that a distinction also be drawn, that it it needs to go more than just be less favourable. You know, okay, it's, so it's not just... Properly unreasonable, is that where you're going with that? Yeah. I mean, sure, if they were living five minutes away from the mine and now they're driving an hour and a half, yeah, of course it's less favourable to them. But they would have still taken the job. Well, let's, let's broaden this concept of repudiation. Mm -hmm. Because right now we're talking about changing the contract terms to alter where the person is working. And we know that there is certainly a, an element of uncertainty to as to whether you would win or lose something like that. And this the facts make such a... It turns on the facts in such a minute de detail, you really have to lock those facts down yeah. and make sure that you can show that the facts are on your side. But we've got lots of other circumstances where repudiation happens. And the one that kind of pops to my mind are things like demotions. Oh, you know, talking this, demotion in, in responsibilities and duties? Yeah, I, I, both really. So we're talking about this concept where somebody is not being made redundant but gets a different working environment, mm. like the, the job with which they're doing changes, and that person feels like it's to their detriment and they don't want to make that change. And the employer is not claiming it's a redundancy. And the employer is claiming that it's well within their contractual conditions that they can change, they alter this position. And they might go from uh, reporting directly to the CEO and having 20 people to who report to them to reporting to someone who reports to the CEO. Uh, and they have a redu reduction in people that report to them to five. And people might look at that, and people do look at that and say, that is a massive change to my career massive change mm. in my career prospects and looking forward in time if I want to go out and find that next job and someone sees that there's been this change someone's going to ask why but again we have 
some wildly different decisions as to whether the Commission sees that as a redundancy or sees that as repudiation. And also we know that just plain reduction in pay isn't necessarily repudiation. And that's a change, I believe. In my view, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, when you know, kind of I was in my junior years, that was almost certainly a repudiation. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago, I believe about two months ago, there was a case where um, I think about 9% or 10% drop, which um, I certainly, even, uh, even the case that I've seen, would seem a little bit of an outlier case because that seemed to be the area that if it was around sort of nine eight percent drop that you're looking at that repudiation but i think the bounds are kind of getting set further and further away and i don't know where that's necessarily coming from but it seems to be what's what's happening it is very interesting isn't it so now we've got a, a lot of sets of different circumstances that don't amount in repudiation but i'm going to go out on a limb and say if you've got the big whammy and have all three. You've been moved, you've been mm. reassigned to a bunch of people and you've had a demotion. That's start to look like a proper change in your contract. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, with all of these cases, uh, at least the controversial ones, it seems to always be centered around one single change. Um, and um, even if they were all smaller amounts, now let's say it was a small relocation, small demotion and a small change in your roles and responsibilities, I think you can certainly mount an argument about a quantitative change. You are you are getting closer, aren't you? But it is, I, I think, you know what I think, Chris, I think you like that the contract is king, as you say, because you like the certainty. You like to be able to prepare a contract for our clients and say, the courts are on our side here. If we draft this right, don't put the ambiguities in, which is, you know, something that we're always really careful of here mm. at JT. We're always thinking about that. Uh, then you're going to be more likely to be successful in a challenge to that particular se section. I'm going to segue out mm. of this, and I'm going to segue into something slightly different, and this is kind of my thing at the moment. Mandatory vaccination policies. <clears throat> We've had this. Uh, <clears throat> it's come up again. And it's come up again, I think, because all those people who found themselves in an employment challenging environment because they weren't vaccinated are now feeling that because the world has opened up, because we don't need to be vaccinated to go and have a cup of tea, uh, then it should all be fine for them to refuse the vaccinations. And we are seeing, uh, just for those who are listening, a massive uptick in discrimination claims. Yeah, on this yeah. timeframes have really blown out for the QHRC. Yeah, to the point where they're up to a year now to just mm. process an application. And that tells me there must be literally thousands of them. And uh, this is this is something really interesting. This this article I was reading talks about two big cases, two big landmark commission cases, and we've spoken about both of them. The first one is the um, MacArthur Coal, <laughs> um, when it was yes. a mandatory. That, that poor, poor mind's copying a little bit of flack on this <laughs> particular podcast. <laughs> 
just copying it. And uh, um, and that one was about whether the policy was reasonable. And uh, and of course, um, we we know it was. And there's a nice sum up at the end. And the other case was. This is the Kimber and Sapphire Coast. Right, that's the one with the flu jab, uh, and I believe that's a aged care centre. Yeah, a, an yeah. aged care centre. And if we remember, I think it's the BHP one where they it was all about consultation, and it wasn't about the, the vaccination being reasonable or not being reasonable, and they they basically won, but on the minute point that they had to go back and consult in order to implement the vaccination policy properly. Yeah, the win was is probably not the right. It it's an oversimplified, oversimplified version of what it is. Yeah, and, and we, we hear on the streets, oh, but you know, there was this case where the vaccinations weren't reasonable. I'm like, no, the case was about the implementation of the policy and they hadn't, and this, this this we've talked about this. This this is that crazy case where, in fact, the enterprise agreement speaks back to the Fair, um, to the Work Health and Safety Act, which talks about consultation. And because they didn't consult in accordance with the Work Health and Safety Act, they didn't consult in, in accordance with the enterprise agreement, and therefore they had to go back and do it. And once they consulted, they just fired everyone again. Yeah, I mean they they it doesn't change the outcome, and the commissioners were very careful to carve out their decision and making sure that it was abundantly clear that the policy itself was lawful and reasonable and sure they the employer lost but on a very minute point yeah absolutely and and this one this this article um you know sums up some of the things that we need to think about uh and of course when we're now when we're thinking about COVID and everyone is talking about this fourth jab, but I'm very happy to say that I am now eligible for that fourth jab, which I'm going to try and get next week, uh, is that it's if you put it in the contract that you require your employees to be fully vaccinated with COVID and be fully vaccinated with and get the flu shot each year, that is the agreement. All these arguments are not about a contractual obligation. They're about whether you can put in place an obligation through policy to um, ask everyone to be vaccinated. Mm. And and this this goes back, Chris, to your you know favourite statements about um, contract is so important in these in this environment. And when we speak to people about new contracts, the first thing, well, not the first thing, but one of the questions we ask is, do you want to have an obligation in the contract to be vaccinated? And I think there's still a lot of un, unsettled kind of thinking in the space, not unsettled law, but the way people see it and they go, well, oh, is it lawful to make someone vaccinate? Well, people don't have to accept the contract. Yeah. This yeah, is, this, they're not drawing the distinction between what's a policy and what's a, a contract, and contracts are great. That you're right, they had a choice to to uh, to reject it. Um, and you know, a policy, sure, you can bring in unilaterally, but that's that's a different kettle of fish. That's right. And all these arguments are not about new employees with a contract that states 
but they must be vaccinated. These are about the existing employees and whether a policy can be put in place to to essentially force these employees to go ahead and be vaccinated or the alternative is termination. And there's a lot of circumstances. I know that I'm, I'm just, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff in that boiling pot. But I really like how the Commission has been going back to the baselines here. They've accepted the following factual propositions. Uh, COVID involves, involves a high burden of disease. Um, the infected person is at risk of developing serious illness. Um, the risks posed by COVID, um, you know, have changed around the Delta variant and so on. The vaccine is readily available and is effective in preventing symptomatic infection. Um, that it reduces serious illness and death. That it's currently available in Australia and is safe. And any adverse effects are usually mild and you have a much higher risk of developing serious complications and or dying from actually getting COVID. Unvaccinated person is more likely to acquire COVID-19 from another unvaccinated person rather than a vaccinated person. And while measures of wearing masks and so on are demonstrated that it can control it, they are not a substitute for being actually vaccinated. Um, and the vaccination is the most effective and efficient control mechanism we have. Um, and even though the vaccination rates are high in the community, there's still a significant hazard in the workplace. And this is really interesting because this is the thing that comes up so often, but everyone else is vaccinated. And uh, but the fact is an unvaccinated person has far more chance of being sick, far more chance of getting it, far more chance of trans, um, transmitting it to somebody else than somebody who is vaccinated. And uh, and if we go back to that contract, none of the argument matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, you're a new employee that every opportunity to one either just not accept it and go elsewhere, or two, they can. I mean, there is the opportunity to negotiate now. Whether there is any you know, utility bargaining in negotiating power. Is, bargaining power is another thing. But the fact is, they had that opportunity and. Uh, and even I even think... more so now, when we've got lower rates of unemployment, it's harder to find skilled workers. The the employee has a greater chance of being able to bargain and pick and choose their jobs. And if they pick and choose jobs that don't have contractual requirements to be vaccinated, that's a matter for them. And we know that the courts have started taking a view that employees have probably had for too long a bit of a long lead about how much bargaining power they have and we know this from Rosado we know this from Jamsec that uh, the courts are happy to accept the fact that an employee or, or in those particular cases an individual uh, has more than enough bargaining power to negotiate the terms of their of their employment as at the time they join um, I mean so it, it's, it's the way of the way way of the land so I think um Personally, I think if if a company wishes to implement a COVID policy, they're absolutely that's absolutely fine. I mean, there's a <laughs> we know the courts have said that over and over and over again. Um, but it would be better if from here on they amended their contracts to, if nothing else, support the policy that is already okay. Yeah, yeah. If nothing yeah, no, else, you're right. Um, 
on on the the COVID policies, um, I think it is right to say there has been some change, but the only difference is the reason why someone is terminated. Because there was certainly a period of time where, um, and it was reflected in the decisions, that the reason someone was fired might have been that they were refusing a lawful and reasonable direction, but also that they were failing to meet the inherent requirements, i.e. requirements of the job. You couldn't yeah. work in a cafe and not <laughs> yeah. be vaccinated because you couldn't work in a cafe. And not How were you supposed, the, the employer simply, it wasn't uh, whether the employer had made a request because there was no such request. The no. simple fact is that they, you couldn't be in the store. No. Um, and that, of, of course, is an inherent requirement is to actually be able to attend the workplace. Right. Well, they, um, they've agreed to actually attend shop and, you know, do yeah. what they're going to do and wait staff or, or do whatever they're going to do. And if they are prevented from doing that from the government through no fault of the employer, we have really, this is, this is the true meaning of frustration of contract, yeah. where both parties, um, through no fault of their own, have had some thing happen that's changed the circumstances and either the parties can get on board, so they do, or they just simply can't. Exactly. And employees that find themselves terminated, the, look, and I, and I say this, and I have said this a lot, every Australian has currently the right not to be vaccinated for COVID-19. It is not mandatory in this country. It is mandatory in other countries, but it's not mandatory in this country. But that does not give you a right to also have your job. So the, 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 the kind of process of choice means that they have to choose. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I and think, I think that's, that's the difficulty that people are coming to these days. And when we've got such COVID under control, which I don't think we do, um, not, re not, not, not in a true sense, because oh, maybe we do, maybe this is as controlled as it's going to get, I don't know. But since we have COVID under control, people are feeling that they can have that choice back. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. Certainly, if it's in their contract, they've agreed already to be vaccinated. The only real difference is, I think, employers now have a little bit more of a choice being there was certainly a time there where i would have advised an employer that i don't think it's a want or i think it's a need i think you don't necessarily have a choice about this just get it done um, you, yeah you absolutely have to um whereas now if they want to put a policy they want to put in the contract there's, ap I mean, there's the courts have absolutely um upheld that and it's, it's lawful it's reasonable i actually see it no different to um a flu jab yep. policy. I think drug that's and alcohol testing. drug and alcohol testing. I think it's all in the same sort of area where as an employer, you are trying to one, protect your workplace health and safety requirements, two, trying to keep operational requirements up to speed. You know, you don't want drops in productivity. You don't want half your workforce sick through the winter months. Um, these are all legitimate considerations. Um, and when you think about the balance here, especially if you're paying for it, uh, although I understand that they're still free at the moment, I'm not too sure, um, but especially if you're paying for it, uh, it's readily available. Um, there's no real tangible detriment to these mm. particular employees. Mm. Um, of course, it's going to be lawful and reasonable. I think the only difference is now is it's 
it's it's actually a business decision rather than just an absolute requirement of running a business. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But I think also um, if you've made all your other staff do it, I think you've got to think about the the optics. If you're now not going to make your new staff do it. Especially, you know I mean? if, especially if there's a group, because I, 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 maybe not so much now, but there was certainly a time there where I think a significant portion of people got the jab, not necessarily because they wanted it, because they fully believed in, uh, you know, the utilitarianism of it. They, they, they did it because they had to. Yeah. Um, and they might have been quite silent about it, and that's fine. Um, but those people would be quite pissed off, I would imagine. But on the flip side, just pushing past that, those people who are being disciplined now for not doing it before does not mean that all of a sudden it's all okay. Because not following a lawful and reasonable direction before still means they weren't following a lawful and reasonable direction. Yeah, and that, that's all about disobedience. Mm, it's very yeah. interesting. But just to segue back, Contracts people, we've talked about this for the last few weeks now. If you've got your contract right and it says the things that you want it to say, then you're going to have a far, far better protection. Yeah. Um, or even this concept of moving your staff from A to B. We've recently moved offices. It's, it's a, I, th I think it's a big move. It was eight kilometres, but it felt, it felt huge. And, uh, yeah, and it's something to be considered. Everyone. Exactly. Um, contract is king. Make contract sure they're all up to date. Make sure they, make sure they are doing what you want them to do. Because, I mean, it doesn't necessarily necessarily say it in this case, but um, I suspect that some of these contracts are actually quite old, and uh, you know, you're protecting against the thing you don't know about. They when they drafted that contract, they might have been thinking about A, B, and C, and then when actually tested was all about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So making sure that it's good, not just in certain areas that you're concerned about, but throughout. Yeah, it's clear and concise. The ambiguity is the thing that's going to give you more disruption here. Well, Mr. De Santana, thank you very much. I really okay. liked that case. And I do think changing the, the venue of where you're employed is a big thing. And people find that very challenging to say, to be comfortable with. Um, and I'd be like to see some more of these cases, but I'd like to see some more consistency in these cases. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very difficult for us to be able to advise our clients on whether a move is acceptable or not, because in fact. <laughs> it's actually quite a tricky area. It is a very tricky area. It's, it's, uh, it's one that, you know, I certainly recommend to our employer listeners out there that. Um, seek some legal advice before you do the change. Yeah, it's not as simple as the contract says we can move them. No, we've seen them lose. Yeah, this one this one said that, said the same and it got challenged, properly properly challenged. And, it did get uh, and it won by the skin of its teeth as well. Yeah, I mean, they could have easily have moved them to a place that it wouldn't have been acceptable. Yeah, wow. Anyway, weekend coming. I am going to be relaxing this weekend. I In Venice, I can see. 
Yes, I'm still on holiday, people. So I've, uh, I'm going to be, I'm actually taking a proper, proper holiday in August. Um, but yes, for now, I'm just having a pretend holiday or a shortened holiday and I'll be back on Monday morning and I'll see everyone then. Thank you very much, Chris, for coming online to say, to have a chat about these cases. It's always very fascinating and we'll see and hear everybody next time on the Lawcast. All right, see everyone. Thanks for watching.